Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up? It's Holden. Uh, We are so excited to bring you this next episode. But before we do, we just want to let you know our show is going Spotify exclusive on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2020. All new releases and our entire back catalog of our show is going to be Spotify exclusive. And, you know, if you're an iOS user, that seems like kind of a big deal. And if you're on Android, you already need three apps to listen to all your podcasts anyway. (laughs) So what's a fourth one? Hey, Spotify accounts are super free and super easy to create. All of our episodes are already over there for your listening pleasure you can download all episodes for offline listening with a free account oh that's great because i love to download episodes ahead of time 100 i work for the devil absolutely follow wizard and the bruiser on spotify to get new episodes as soon as they come out Hello, everybody. It is... What did we do last time? It's your lobster alien... Oy, it's uh, your Jewish lobster <laughs> bruiser Holden. Eh, shut up, <laughs> dirtbag, meatbag. I'm 40% bruiser. Oh, that was the worst bender. Man, that's a tough... Give it a, give it a take two, Jake. Uh, I'm going to start my own podcast. We're Blackjack and Hookers. <laughs> All right, you know what? Maybe you just need a little bit of a setup here. Um, hi, I'm Leela. <laughs> and- How are you today, Bendor? <laughs> Good news, everyone. <laughs> what? See, you do a great one. Just over with that. I think oh, you did that last week. Oh, I know. That's so good. <laughs> that sounds like the actual character. Nobody wants to be the professor. Ah, it's me. I'm just drinking a bunch of beers over here. <laughs> That's kind of it, right? It's, it's, we're, 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 we're painting an expressionist portrait of a robot called Bender. Well, it's part two of Futurama. <laughs> and he's a wizard, I guess. Who gives a shit? And we're here to talk about uh, so, so many things. Part two of Futurama was more of a deep dive into the episodes we love and cherish from the show. It took us an hour just to get to episode one. Yes, yes, for sure. And, uh, and we get to talk about just what happened here. It's got the most mired, bizarre, winding tale of of cancellations. And I love that this is the this is, I guess, the one fact you need to know in order to understand how weird this oh, I love course this. of the show. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you going to say it? That, that they re- they have over the course of the time written uh, four different series finales. Yes. Yes. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I, I can't believe that's it. like we didn't discuss this beforehand. You just knew I was about to say that. 
It's so funny. So, yeah, you can track the amount of times the show was either canceled or they thought they were writing the final episode until we get to Meanwhile. And we'll talk about Meanwhile. We'll talk about a lot of things. Meanwhile is a weird one. All the the finale episodes have very weird energies about them. Well, it's bizarre because you have to, you know, it's it's a very like in a lot of ways, the the sci-fi world they live in is very cynical (laughs) and very like cold. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. But then also they're telling this unrequited love story the whole time so of course when you're writing these series finale event episodes there's got to be this big heart behind it but there's also this just like bizarre fuck humanity or whatever you know Futurama or, or humanity is, is one of the most like detached gen x cynical like internet poisoned like snarky atheist programs of all time except once every eighth episode everyone's crying for some reason and Mm -hmm. someone's dead on the ground and we will talk about that dog episode that we all know and love that was definitely you know we talked about we did a little bit of personal experience last episode i think we wanted to save a little bit of the gush for this uh for this episode i know for me personally and don't claw my eyeballs out (laughs) ladies and gentlemen but i feel like i was uh, futurama i enjoyed but it wasn't i never caught that deep fandom for uh and i maybe i did talk about this last last uh episode but i do remember being at my office job that i hated and looking at different internet things as you do at an office job you hate and and stumbling upon this reverie for the episode Jurassic Bark, which we will get into more later, but just for a personal gush, looking at it and being like, oh shit, they're doing that with the show? I didn't even realize they were going in these sorts of directions and hitting these giant emotional chords. <laughs> but it does almost feel like um, like a kamikaze uh, act of, of warfare on your emotions <laughs> because so much of the show is just fun, nerdy sci-fi concept stuff played with to comedic degrees and all these really wackadoo characters. You even have the Three Stooges influence on (laughs) Zoidberg. I mean, it is just super over-the-top goofy, and then all of a sudden they're just kind of like, and now you cry. (laughs) It's very weird. There's like, I'm trying to think of my favorite episodes. There's stuff like um, the Fry in the Slurm Factory that's like very just like, a straight up parody of like beer culture uh-huh. and like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate yes, Factory. Yes, I, I was going to bring that one up. Um, That's definitely one of the big highlights from season one. There's uh, stuff like um, oh, what's a what's oh, a really good one that I I absolutely love. The problem with poplars is a great one where they just shit on hippies so <laughs> that's not true we taught a lion to eat tofu it's just the grossest sickest looking animal ever drawn um and then all of a sudden there's stuff like uh in time keeps on slipping which uh-huh. is ostensibly a very funny episode it's one of my favorite where the gimmick is uh time is just arbitrarily jumping forward but mm-hmm. they have no memory of what happens in the time jump and and that is based off of theories that you know you can't you can only go forward you can never go backwards and it's also the whole basis is they're trying to beat the globe trotters in a basketball game but uh, the episode ends with fry crying to himself because he had moved the stars to show leela that he loved her yeah and he knew that that would have made her her love him and it's, that's how this wacky goof with the harlem globe trotter episode ends. right right they're just full of these weird gut punches. Uh, Luck of the Fryish, another one where, like, they it's, once in a while they get into the fact that everyone Fry has ever known has died. Yes, yes, totally, and and that's what makes the show so great. I think is it's it's so and and I think you can trace that back to the Simpsons DNA. Simpsons again was on the outset this really 
silly take on the American family and all this stuff. But very quickly, they were finding these emotional inroads to to connect you to a at a deeper level. You know, like the Lisa Simpson teacher episode. That, you Bart know, gets an F. Bart Ooh. gets an F was Ooh. one of the early good ones. And yeah, so I mean, this is definitely the, the way that that uh, the graining shows operate for sure. But it's still it's even more surprising in, in Futurama when again, there's just so <laughs> much like so much cynical shit in, in there, you know, and so much cold science, cold sci-fi uh, against humanity. It's it's a weird mix of, like, cold sci-fi and genuine vaudeville. Like, I remember in War is the H-word where, like, they're just literally fighting a bunch of testicles. Right, right. And the half the show is just ball jokes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... You're gonna be with the brain balls. But They've got makes... a lot of brains and they got a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that makes sense, though, especially when when you have a show that somehow by the end spanned seven seasons mm. it, it, it was a start stop to get there and we will talk about that start stop today but of course you've got to reach these different angles one of the more interesting things to me is that they kept coming up with new sci-fi concepts to play with and, and mess around with even in their later uh, seasons when that must have been so difficult for them mm. to pull out and uh, took a lot of they're having their own interests be in mathematics and science and also sci-fi books. We will talk about some of the deeper science elements uh, that have happened in the show. Just some some examples. There are too many to name in one episode, to be honest with you. Like, and I, of course, I, we'll go in deep into everyone's favorite character, Undisputed. Hero of the series, Clamps. <laughs> we everybody loves Clamps. Everybody loves Clamps. Um, so when we last left our heroes, they got the show greenlit, and it premiered on Sunday night in between the Simpsons and the X Files. Perfect, Simpsons and the X Files. Why? I mean, an unmovable. Perfect slot to be in. Why would you ever fuck with that? Oh, do you like The Simpsons? You might like another animation show by the same guy. Oh, do you like the sci-fi of X-Files? Well, here's like a comedic take on sci-fi to ease you into the more serious X-Files episode. Uh, just an, a match made in heaven, Jake, for um, network programming and, and time sp uh, st placement. That's right. It was March 28th, 1999, and it got 19 million viewers. Wow. Uh, tying for was 11th there. spot. I was there, too. <laughs> it was the next Simpsons. How yeah. could you not be there? How could you not be there? And uh, the following uh, the following week, airing in the same time slot, uh, the series had landed, uh, got 14 million viewers. At which point, uh, the Fox executives were like, time to start ruining this. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you want to jump into, into that? Let's jump into that. Uh, so, Grading and Cohen, they are all about this 830 time slot. And um, they're like, hell yeah. Just uh, like I said, just match made in heaven. Couldn't be more perfect. And then they moved the show to, they moved the show to Tuesday night, Jake, which is Tuesday night. You know, we're... Where all those cartoon shows are playing, and the and the the people want to watch a a, a sci-fi <laughs> animated show because it's up next. I don't even know what was on. I'm on actually Tuesday googling night. this right now because I feel bad that I didn't even bother to check. What the hell is even happening on Tuesday night? Okay, so we're on Tuesday night. The year is 1999. Okay, and we're on 
Fox. Okay. Uh, that 70s show. Oh, perfect. Match made in heaven. Uh, uh, a show about the future and, and a show about the 70s next to each other. One's animated, one's live action. I uh, guess both are comedies, so that works. Oh, but then, but yeah, okay, so you got 70s show at that nice 8 o'clock spot, Futurama at 8.30, and then... The later, the later seasons of Party of Five to close it out. That seems so ass backwards from, okay. Just so, a fucking, just imagine a sandwich on normie bread and in the middle is yes! just some funky Limburger cheese. That makes no fucking sense. I'm so glad you looked that up because it's even more atrocious <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. And they're both like family oriented shows. One Everybody a drama. wants to live one they want to live. One a drama and one. And, and, and one, one a uh, a comedy about families <laughs> in the past. Oh my god, man! So, anyways, after the first season, it was put back in the Sunday night lineup because Woo, we obviously did it. we back did it back Sunday. at eight thirty. Um, but by mid season, they moved it, Jake, again to Sunday night. But now it's seven p.m. That's not Sunday night. Yeah, that's <laughs> not Sunday night. And and by the way, there's a little thing called. I don't know, fucking football. Uh, so, so okay, so that means, okay. You're it, describing my freshman year in high school right? where I would, I would get all, I had to get my homework done by fucking early evening, which is bullshit. You clearly I'm, do it the night before. I'm already getting flashbacks, Jake. Go on. And like, uh, I was, I want, I needed like the whole fucking time block for myself because it was from seven to 10 p.m. That's uh-huh. three hours of television. So I had to like watch it downstairs in the basement on a little CRT VCR combo. And ostensibly, I was quote unquote working out down there. But by the first half hour, I was just like watching TV. <laughs> but it was it was great. It was Futurama, King of the Hill, The Simpsons, Malcolm in the Middle, and The X-Files. Pretty solid. Pretty great, except for the fact that every week that mattered, <laughs> it was always delayed or literally just canceled out by a fucking football game. Yes, literally so many episodes. It led to several episodes for seasons three and four being pushed and aired in season five. That's how bad it was. And this largely, at least reported by Matt Groening, he said he had issues with The Simpsons as well as Futurama, but this was largely the Fox executives upset at the situation that in, in which they had no creative control over the Groening properties. And so instead Not only of, that, but they fought him so tooth and nail that yeah. if it did well, they just look bad. Yes. They lose credibility. Yeah, so uh, it, 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 he says that is 100% what it was. And so whenever you see a show constantly being moved around in time slots, that's executive fuckery, period. Graining said, you can't believe what babies people are. It's really like being in junior high school with the bullies and every step of the way, anytime I've been gracious, that has been, it's seen as a sign of weakness. And every time I've yelled back, uh, I've been treated with respect. That's just not very good psychology. The other thing is, it's just astonishing to have this lesson repeated over and over <laughs> again. You can't expect people to behave in their own best interest. It's in Fox's best interest for this show to be a success, but they'd rather mess with the show and have them fail than allow creators independence and let them succeed. And he said that the network showed an utter lack of enthusiasm when the show would, uh, when when either Futurama or The Simpsons would get nom- nominated for or win Emmys or support in any other extraneous aspects of show business. They, they, not even a, a begrudging phone call, he said, to say congratulations. That's how against 
him his own network was uh, for, for the shows he was putting out. Arguably, too, The Simpsons, I don't even think it's arguable, the most important <laughs> television show to Fox. Uh, if period. it was so important, why did they cancel it? Oh, wait, they haven't. They it's been haven't. running continuously for over 30 years. It's unbelievable to hear these things. I, I can't. I was shocked in reading this, Not especially a, uh, like like whatever with Futurama. Simpsons, period. Why would you ever <laughs> treat someone that gave you that show or a show like it, like the way that it's being described by Graining? Um, the show, by the way, to add insult to injury, was never formally canceled. They just stopped purchasing new episodes. So the studio was forced to go out of production just before the fall 2003 broadcast season. It uh, also sucks because season four is full of fucking home run episodes. Yeah. Like, Every, been- like seasons three and four. Like, so I'm a, I have a bunch of memorable episodes to talk about. Majority is season three and four uh, period. Which so is they not were at to the say, height yeah. of their fucking game. Uh, which is not to say seasons one and two is that are bad, but like they definitely developed like their pattern. Their kind of each character had their games like nailed down. Everyone from Bender to yeah, everyone from Bender to Fry to Leela, to, everybody didn't. It was like The Simpsons. They they're what they thought that character's game was gonna be, and what their actual game like. Zoidberg was not the dumpster diving, uh, lovable oaf we we know him to be. He was just like right. he's a doctor, but he's an alien. He's right. kind of like a Spock figure. And he, was, he was always a goofball, for but sure. But there's a difference between incompetent Spock and like weird, pathetic social parasites. Yes, yeah, totally. Uh, another one from Graining: the idea of a TV show that they talking about the executives haven't gotten their greasy fingers <laughs> all over creatively drives them nuts. That's why almost everything else is so lousy. <laughs> I love the way he talks about this. Gee, hey, Malcolm in the Middle wasn't that bad. Calm down, bro. <laughs> we won the Emmy for Best Animated Show, and I didn't even get a begrudging phone call from anyone at Fox. That's a dark company that they can't even make a fake phone call. Um, so let, let's let's get away from, from the negativity for a second and talk about the love. Let's talk about some of these amazing episodes. You already brought up Fly, uh, Fry and the Slurm Factory. That's season one, episode eight. And yes, uh, I love it. It has <laughs> Slurms McKenzie, which I loved. First of all, I loved Spuds McKenzie when I was a kid. So it speaks Wait, to my heart. True? The party dog for yeah. Bud Light. Oh, yeah. I had a Spuds McKenzie stuffed animal and stuff. It's amazing. Um, so I'm old school. Wait, did you love Spuds McKenzie or did your dad love Bud Light? Shockingly, no. My dad loved Jack Daniels until he finally had to come to a... a <laughs> come to the end of the road on that one uh but uh yeah no it, it was just man bud light i mean uh, beer advertising back in the day just mwah, nothing better you know i the had frogs a... you had the uh you know all that good stuff i loved the, the bud ice dilly shit yeah the bud ice penguins of course um fantastic stuff so and then also um you know the big twist at the end uh, by the way i guess spoilers for futurama <laughs> if that's really going to be a thing for you uh we will be spoiling a bunch of episodes here so it's because these episodes are so ingrained and so beloved that actually made it an even more powerful show which we'll yes, get to by the end for sure but uh the big the big turn is that the slurm is being made by <laughs> is really just the secretion of a giant worm and it's really disgusting and uh Sp- slurms mckenzie sacrifices himself because he's tired of the party in order to get them uh to let them escape so that's fantastic. Uh, this episode also has one of my favorite weird goofy jokes that like one of those weird tv jokes that just like hits your head at the weirdest times just uh crunk a lunk a dunkity dark guards <laughs> shut up 
Um, uh, there's also I'm j- I'm gonna jump around to different seasons because yeah, yeah. I didn't put these in order as I was uh, pulling them. Uh, where no fan has gone before, season four, episode eleven. The uh, mm. which which is a really strong one because it has so many of the original Star Trek cast members, including Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, uh, Walter Koenig, George Takai, and Nichelle Nichols. We've talked <laughs> about these people, by the way, in our Star Trek episode, but also because. It's not just fan service having all of them there. It's also this really great take on fan obsession and how fucking shitty it can be because they're all trapped on this planet that this fan is is the overlord of and they can't escape. It was also like uh, Futurama came along at a very important uh, time in the history of the Internet Uh because it was like – Fan groups and like fan message boards were still very, were the dominant form of interaction. Right. Whereas like MySpace and social media hadn't quite uh, like gotten, fo- you know, like uh, William Shatner and George Decay weren't social media superstars. And also yet. like the concept of toxic fandom wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now. No, it was just like a funny thing you made. Like it was like the right. comic book guy. Like, no, he gets a little, uh, yes. he gets a little of, oh, uh, ahead of himself. Yeah. But like he's harmless. But it's not like today where it's like, I mean, I'll just say Star Wars fans at this point. <laughs> And, and start to every fan. Every, yeah, yeah. But I mean, mo- most recently with the new movie coming out and how just like horrendous it is mm. uh, to to be in, in a community like that. <laughs> and just to see, I mean, I even saw this. And, and forgive me if, if you have this deep of a connection that you feel this way too. But literally people saying that they watched the last, I saw on Facebook people being like, I saw the last Star Wars movie and um, I'm now in a deep state of depression. <laughs> I'm now depressed. <laughs> Because of a movie. It's just, I get it. You were looking forward to the movie, and they didn't do what you wanted, but you're fucking depressed. I'll give you some shit to be depressed. I'm I'm coming off like an old man right now. But, like, do you know how many fucking real things there are to be depressed about? I mean, maybe you're misattributing in this situation, but. Listen, there's, like, exactly four million young women and young men in this world who actually had their sexual awakening to Adam Driver, and they might be sad. (laughs) There are people who can't get out of the fucking bed in the morning because they fight, you know, because their whole family died in a car accident. And you're you're over here having a sad about the way fucking the movie ended. There were holding. You know what? I'm going to speak up for us. True sufferers, (laughs) us real victims who notice educate me. There were several issues in the third act (laughs) that were not earned. I haven't even seen it out of just absolute indignance. No, you saw cats like a normal person. I, saw, I have now seen cats and little women before I've seen the new Star Wars movie. And if you had told me that 20 years ago, I would have lit you on fire. By the way, which little woman gets the jellical choice? Do, do they find out? Actually, yes, I do know which one dies. I know which one dies now. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's very sad. So anyways, uh, uh, that's where no fan has gone before. You also have, uh, let's just jump into some other ones. The Day the Earth Stood Stupid in Season 3, Episode 7. It's the first appearance of the Brain Spawn villain, mm-hmm. as well as, and I loved this turn with Nibbler. Nibbler, of course, the like, you, what you think is just this <laughs> gobbling little monster that has no brain cells and just eats, 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 and then you find out that actually Nibbler's one of the oldest beings in the universe and uh, and and like incredibly wise and incredibly sage you also this also greatly establishes fry as the moron we all love and know today because he is able to defeat the brain spawn with his terrible spelling and pure stupidity and that is one of the 
benchmarks for shut up and take my money fry for idiot fry. The um, it re it. I remember at the time feeling like a moron because I didn't notice Nibbler's shadow in the pilot, and they did <laughs> go ahead and like honored that continuity, that wow. little Easter egg in the first episode. That's amazing. Um, I did not realize another that great episode. The the Emmy award winning episode that I truly love, which has to do with uh, the day there stood stupid. Uh, Roswell that ends well. Yes, in which Fry becomes. His own grandfather. <laughs> Playing off of that gross plot element in Back to the Future, Fry goes back in time, gets his grandfather killed, and then has sex with his own grandmother to become his own grandfather. And this is a plot point that is referenced. Don't you feel like you just want to bake some sugar cookies? <laughs> How about these cookies, sugar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the smug satisfaction where he's like, no, you guys, like I figured it out. That wasn't my real grandfather. <laughs> and of course, because he's his own grandfather, he lacks the Delta brainwave, which comes back a million times yes, in the show. And kind of so actually, brilliant. It, it hand waves a lot of dumb, like coincidental protagonist stuff on why is Fry always in the center of the universe for a bunch of these conflicts. Right, right, right. You also have, I'll jump to actually after the series got picked up again, but it has a great reference to the episode you just mentioned with the late Philip J. Fry, season seven, episode seven. <laughs> Uh, and it is one of those uh, episodes in, in the later seasons which were criticized as kind of going downhill a little bit as being one of the stronger ones in those later seasons. The professor invents a time machine that can only go forward, which Fry and Bender accidentally use. They have to keep going forward to get to a time machine uh, to win a time machine is invented that can go backwards. And one of my favorite, of course, Farnsworth says in the episode, this time machine goes forward in time. That way, you can't accidentally do something disgusting like sleep with your own grandmother, <laughs> which is a really good reference. But also, it's a really amazing concept because they essentially go all the way to when humanity ends mm -hmm. and then and then think it's over and then realize, no, they, humanity just begins again and we continue to go forward and Time forward and forward. Time is a flat circle. A hundred percent. One of the funnier episodes... Uh, which is pure laughs episodes. Amazon Women in the Mood. <laughs> oh my God. Season three, episode one. Uh, and that uh, begins, what begins as a double date, ends with Zap Brannigan. By the way, Zap Brannigan, fantastic character we haven't talked about very much. Uh, R.I.P. Phil Hartman. Yes. Uh, Fry and Kiff, another great character we haven't talked about much. The little, that's the little green America's alien. favorite Smizmar. Yes. Uh, uh, they're captured by giant Amazonian women and sentenced by the Fimputer. <laughs> Voiced by B. Arthur, by the way, to death by Snoo Snoo, and um, many hilarious results, uh, of course, from that. And, a yeah. lot of Reddit jokes about Snoo Snoo were born in that moment. Yes, a hundred percent. Now, okay, this is something that rewatching a lot of these episodes, I um like, I just want to briefly acknowledge it, and like, if you are, if you are fully, if your third eye has opened, and you are full woke and really truly like sensitive to a lot of like modern uh, issues, uh. Futurama drops the ball a lot, a surprising amount of times. If you don't have the context that these are a bunch of Gen Xers in the early 2000s thinking they're being subversive. Right. Like a lot of episodes involving gender swaps, a lot of uh, episodes involving like male pregnancy and even the Amazon snoo snoo thing. Uh, it just they think they're being woke, but it's it's now the you know, the conversation has gotten so much further than where they were back then that it sometimes can take you out of it. But if you just realize like. 
look at just look at a photo of Matt Groening and just be like, <laughs> how how like how deep do you think this guy's understanding of it? Right. Was? I mean, I would pose the argument that I think I think we've got to have understand time and context. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, it's funny because right now with uh, my other show, Page Seven Pop History, we're doing John Waters, and it reminds me a lot of our Robert Crumb episode. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean. Just and he even admits that a lot of the things he made early on in his career just could, would not work today in, in the current scenario that we're in, you know. And that's fine. And we, I think, we as a people need to be fine with that and still be able to admire art, you know, with in context. Oh, even stuff like a ton of jokes uh, make fun of like how cheesecake the animators treat Amy and Leela, uh-huh. and like. It's the old thing where, like, someone will make a misogynist joke, but then they'll get bopped in the noggin, so, like, the guy's feminism. Right. But, like, that's the ideal world. The world that, like, people want to talk about isn't one where, like, people who make uh, sexist jokes get bopped on the head. They just want to live in a world without sexist jokes. But, like, it's so rare, but once in a while... You know what also gets me? Is uh, when they make, like, a really, like, ooh, atheist joke <laughs> in a way that, like, they're like, that's right, we said it, we're now just be like, yeah, who, it's not well, 2002 and, and, anymore. And religion does play a part, too, in the show. There's there's a voice of God, there's the devil robot, which we'll talk about in just a little bit because of a certain episode. Uh, so there is yeah. that going on, but I'll, I also say this, Jake. For me personally, bring back the rolling pin. I need to be taught a lesson via physical abuse in a comical way. Uh, Holden, your 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 fucking soft shoe, the half step of the frying pan of the fuck. I already blew the joke. The point is, we need frying pans, cast iron frying pans, to really make things right. How about the Farnsworth Parabox in season four, episode what? fifteen? I'm just talking more fun episodes. Um, Wait, is the title Farnsworth Parabox? Yeah, it's Parabox. I just assumed it was Paradox Me this entire too, time. until I read it for the like millionth time, and then I was like, that's Box. No shit. Uh, the, pro- the professor's invention, which he asked the crew to toss into the sun, but of course their curiosity gets the best of them, is a box with a parallel universe in it, which everyone has a variant of themselves, which forces them to universe hop to get the box back because Zoid- the Zoidbergs steal it. One of the great lines from that, Hermes Conrad says, like Granny said, if you want a box hurled into the sun, you got to do it yourself. God rest her zombie bones. <laughs> uh, really good stuff. That plays a lot with the science. I do, again, have some great science examples coming. I mentioned the devil robot. The devil's hands are idle playthings, season four, episode 18. Well, that's, you know, that was... That's the- one of the season, or series, rather, finales uh, that we will talk about. It showcases the romance between Fry and Leela, with Fry switching hands with the robot devil after losing a bet. This allows him to play the holophone Owner, which allows him to express his true feelings to Leela. I will say the pop when uh, the devil is doing like the, oh, yes, you won't know who this robot is. And like <laughs> Bender is wildly gesticulating and using his hands and be like being like, ooh, Fry, you got to do it. It's like, That's right. It won't be a robot probably that you don't know. And then it lands on the robot devil. And it's such like a weird like misdirect. I truly love that. I love this line. This reminds me so much of my favorite jokes in The Simpsons from the robot devil your lyrics lack subtlety you can't just have characters (laughs) announce how they feel that makes me feel angry which is like my one of my favorite that's like such a perfect uh style of simpsons joke that i absolutely love a self-referential just hitting it on this one became a meme but it's great it's like Fry, the music was inside. The music was inside you all along just believe in yourself and then he starts to play and it's terrible and it's just 
your music's bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> um, absolutely fantastic. Then you also have The Sting, season four, episode 12. This reminds me of the chili cook-off a little bit oh, in The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I, I found a depository with all of the DVD commentaries on it. Oh, and, hell um, yeah. Uh, this one, they just they wanted to do an episode where a character died. They wanted to like just explore those ideas of how what how the crew would react if a character uh, had died. And they wanted to do a callback to the contents of the space wasp's stomach from the pilot, because that's where they got the career chips. There was the envelope, and David X Cohen talks about how. They blew through, like, they had every available researcher trying to find a single species of wasp that actually made, like, true honey, and they don't exist, so they just said, fuck it, they were bees, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the crew is dispensed to collect honey from a massive bee colony. Fry is impaled with a bee stinger in order to save Leah, uh, Leela, rather. In response, Leela consumes a bunch of royal jelly from the space bees and has a bunch of hallucinatory dreams of her and Fry, and that... Is again the the it's the trippiness and everything going on in that, um, and also another uh, that that's also another big uh, signpost episode for their uh, budding relationship, their unre- will they won't they unrequited love <laughs> situation that uh, Graining was so happy to uh, play in with Futurama in a way that he wasn't able to in The Simpsons. The most recent like piece of Futurama thing was a radio play that they actually did, like a two part podcast with Chris Hardwick. Whatever, <coughs> not going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> And one of the opening lines to establish the status quo is uh, uh, Katie Seagal going like, that's it, Fry. Our on again, off again, romance is off. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, let's talk about it. Season four, episode seven, Mm -hmm. Jurassic Bark. Uh, This is the one, I feel like this one is what put Futurama on the map in a way that it hadn't been put you on the map before. You literally can't talk about the show without talking about this. And episode. it's kind of mean. It's like It's um, super mean. It's uh it's kind of like a, oh, you're just enjoying this car, you know car, cartoon about space and it's about having a good time and then and then and then you just get hit. Did in, you rewatch in, this? Uh I not this week. I've seen it multiple times though. What I, I, I could I was gonna and then I was like I can't I don't I can't do that. What I week. forgot about this episode <laughs> is that the it is a solid fuck you gut punch. Yeah. It is pure cruelty because She's going for it. At the end of the episode, um the idea is Fry finds the fossilized remains of his old dog and uh he goes on like a weird journey to get get it so he can like clone him and bring him back to life. And Bender gets jealous, and then there's a bunch of B-plot stuff, yes. or whatever. And at the end of the episode, like any normal episode of Futurama, <laughs> Fry finds out that Seymour is actually 10 years or 12 years older than when he last saw him and realized, like, oh, this dog led a full life without me. Right. It'd be cruel to bring him back now. I'll just let him be at peace. And the episode resolves, and they cut to a fucking montage that <laughs> Seymour missed him and waited for him every day, and all he would love is just to see Fry again, and it's never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's so mean. And again, of course, showcasing the absolute loyalty of dogs and anyone who's had a pet that they've loved, or uh, anyone who's even a person who's been so loyal to them. I mean, it's, there's just no way to not feel sympathetic unless, actually, if you didn't feel anything while watching it, um, I think you might be a sociopath and you might want to go seek some professional help. Uh, according to the DVD commentary, uh, this was uh, the original pitch, you know, the original story card in the writer's room was about Fry finding his fossilized mom. 
but that it would have been too upsetting to have him lose her again. Uh-huh. In a early internet poll, this was deemed the number one most effective episode over Luck of the Fryish and Leela's Homeworld and Time Keeps on Slipping. Uh-huh. Um, the song that plays on the end, the brutal I Will Wait For You, is actually... Uh, from the French New Wave romantic musical, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Cherbourg. Matt Groening actually said his parents would play on the piano huh. every once in a while. And in course, it contains the line, I would wait a thousand summers. Um, uh. Mary, could you just play, just, just to get the tears flowing, uh, just play a little bit of I Will Wait For You. If it takes Well, there you go. Jake, do you have any other episodes you want to highlight before we move on to other things? Um, let's see. Uh, There's so many more I could have listed and talked about, to be honest with you. I just picked a handful that I felt like showed just what a kind of variety that this show gave to its viewers. There, Some I picked because of the romance. Some I picked because, you know, the last one I picked because of the emotional... Uh, uh, turmoil, the, the the emotional pull of it. Others just pure comedy. Others um, more more the science, more the uh, the sci fi ness. It just had so many things going for it that you never knew quite what you were going to get with each episode. Um, I'm just looking at the episode list because it, it all just kind of blends together to just a warm, fuzzy feeling. And for the first run, one of my favorite episodes, uh, maybe one of the best pieces of like what Futurama does best, which is like balls to the wall, heavy sci-fi, heavy goofery, 300 big boys, uh, which was a play on the Bush era uh, uh-huh. tax rebate in which Fry famously drinks 100 cups of coffee and achieves full enlightenment. The way that dumb B-plot paid off at the end was truly magnificent. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about science. Bam, 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 Science. Um, Graining said, how do you get around the universe that's so huge? Originally, we planned to have the spaceship powered by the MW drive, which is, quote, magic wand. All science fiction has that magic wand where you can travel through galaxies very quickly. And instead, David had a friend who had a theory that you could slow down the speed of light and therefore make things faster. I never understood it, but that's what happens. And the ship is fueled by dark matter, whatever that is. Again, David Cohen could explain, as could all the writing staff except me. And that is one example of the needless uh, energy put towards actually explaining how things work on the show. I've got other examples of that, but I just, just all of it hits home how much care was put into it from the nerdiest uh, possible perspective of, no, 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 it's not just we're going to have a spaceship and yada, yada, yada that can go here and go there. No, 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 we, we want to actually have reasons for why it's able to travel. Why, you know, if if we put our characters in this situation, what would the actual science be? They have an episode where they go to the moon, and Graining said, and there was the question of where does the sun set when you're <laughs> on the moon? And we tried to make it geographically and chronologically correct. And every so often, we put little signs on there for sticklers. Quote, lunar excursion model replaced in 2020 because it wouldn't be there. (laughs) So just all of this thought that I guess they understood what a fandom could bring to the table, though, in terms of if you do put this kind of thought into it, it is appreciated by the most devoted fans, especially if it's going to be a sci-fi show. 
There was the body swapping episode, The Prisoner of Binda. We talked about it a little bit last week, but I wanted to go a little bit more in depth. It put forth the Futurama Theorem, which was created by writer Ken Keeler, who holds a PhD in applied mathematics. It is the first known theorem to be created entirely for the purposes of television entertainment and an attempt to popularize math among people. So um, there is a, a device that switches minds, but mm -hmm. it can't switch them back. And so the theorem attempts to prove that with an, uh, a certain amount of extra bodies, they could eventually get to the point where all minds get switched back to the original position. Um, so the theorem proves that regardless of how many mind switches between two bodies have been made, they can still all be restored to their original bodies using only two extra people, provided these two people have not had any mind switches prior, assuming two people cannot switch minds back with each other after their original switch. And the episode actually goes, they have the theorem posted on the blackboard. Yes. And they show how the switches happen. Like, it, it goes by in the flash of an eye but they show their work and like this transfers here this transfers here this transfers here yes. and everyone's back it's crazy and and yeah it's that, also a really funny episode yeah, it yeah. has the scene where uh for so amy's body is has the brain of scruffy's wash bucket <laughs> and there's a whole scene where it's like go go now before i keep before i convince you to stay <laughs> yeah it's just brilliant like to to have something be that technically correct and still pull off a comedy show is unbelievable um a weird thing happens after the cancellation, um, which is uh, a video game is is released for the uh, PlayStation Two, Xbox, and in Europe the GameCube. Weird. This is the, this exists. It's called. It's just called Futurama. Uh, in like fan circles, you kind of have to call it the PS Two game or the console game. Uh, it was. Total shovelware. It really was. Uh, is that was, the only game that Futurama got? No, there was two other games. Okay. Um, there was Futurama. Okay, so this game, uh, I watched Let's Play footage of it, especially in when it was like uh, during the height of my Futurama fandom. Do you know what it's called? It's just called Futurama. Okay, it's I'm gonna, just called I'm Futurama. Look up pictures of it. Um, it looks really bad because everyone's rendered in a weird 3D cell shaded style, including the cutscenes and that. Just that Simpsons, they've tried this forever. That Simpsons look does not do well in 3D. Fry's it hair. terrible. Um, it was outsourced to a Swedish developer called UDS that had been <laughs> previously just been making racing games. So the controls are really janky. The combat is repetitive. But, but here's the nugget. The cutscenes were written by the Futurama writing staff. And they're pretty good. Uh, so good, in fact, that as a DVD extra in... I. One of the in one of the Futurama directed DVD movies, uh, it's a DVD extra called Futurama: The Lost Adventure, where they just took the cutscenes and played that as a normal episode. My God! Uh, but it is very janky. It is very silly. Um, there was another mobile game uh, by a German company called Wooga called Game of Drones. Guess which show was popular when this came right. out? Uh, it was just Candy Crush. It was just color matching puzzles. It was really well done. I remember playing it for hours and hours and hours. I think they lost the license. You cannot find it on the App Store anymore. And the most recent game uh, was just called Futurama Worlds of Tomorrow. And it is the same as that uh, Simpsons, like Tap Tap Springfield or the Family Guy Tap Tap yes. game. It's just this, a city yeah. builder where you're, you're just burning energy and they, it's just a giant microtransaction fest. I tried to play it. It bored the shit out of me. But to promote it, there was like a nice wave of extra Futurama content, including that audio only episode that was released uh, as a podcast, mm. which 
actually, if you track that down, that it genuinely feels like a real Futurama episode. It was actually really nice to listen to. I've got your pitch concept for a great Futurama video game. You ready? Ready. Fucking Futurama meets Mass Effect. Just do straight up, like straight up do that. Everybody has their own uh, side quests mm-hmm. for, for everybody on your crew. There's one big overlying arc situation. You just spoof Mass Effect the whole way through to just like take what South Park did for RPGs mm-hmm. and do that in the Mass Effect RPG sense. The only problem is you do have that 3D issue. You would have to 2D it like uh, South Park did, but I think you could do that and still do the same kind of game. It would be lovely. It would be lovely. But uh, I think the nature of Futurama is that they know there's around 4 million diehard fans that'll give anything a whirl, and they just need to milk those people for as much as they can. Absolutely. So, luckily- When we last left our heroes, they were just- Shat on, they're covered in shit (laughs) and crying. After having done some of the best animated television, award-winning television in the history of the art form. (laughs) So this is 2002. Honestly, they had just essentially stopped production. I mean, this was not really much uh, uh, downtime. Cartoon Network acquires the syndication rights to both uh, Futurama and another canceled uh, Fox show, Family Guy. That's Mm -hmm. right. Family Guy also gets canceled around this time. This uh, Family Guy is the first one that ends up having this massive success with its direct-to-DVD offerings. I remember, first of all, before the direct-to-DVD offerings, I remember when Family Guy just had a massive revival based off of the... Uh, because this was novel at the time, DVD television box mm-hmm. sets, which yeah. I remember really everyone was like, now with streaming, we forget this. Back in the day, I was like, dude, you can go to the store and buy like one box set and have hours of television to comb through when they were releasing the Simpsons box set. So that was a huge thing. Not only that, but with like jokes that were deleted for syndication yes. with like really great quality. Yeah, it's dirtier now. It's got, uh, yeah, it's uncensored. And I remember Family Guy having like a whole second coming because of it. But then I think the direct to DVD, they did that like Star Wars parody, right? That yeah. was one of them. That was direct to DVD. That wasn't I think like they did all three movies when all was said and done, right? Yeah. So yeah, they they um they were getting success with that. Futurama sees what's going on with that and says, okay, maybe we could do the same thing to keep the show alive a little bit longer. And they end up making four of these. These are essentially like well, short so films. This is uh, just uh, just a thing I want to say about the uh, Adult Swim run. Sure, is that um, Adult Swim treated the br- the show with the reverence that. Fox didn't right. because it was a huge get for Adult Swim to have this show that was beloved and they would uh, promote the hell out of it, show ads around the clock. Uh, whenever a new new to Adult Swim episode would be released, there was a big fanfare. They would have marathons and, you know, uh, they would just create, you know, it was it was a gem in their programming crown. They treated this show with real respect and just by the nature of having it uh, available on a consistent basis made it a part of people's lives. Right. And it was, you know, for uh, Cartoon Network, uh, got the rights for every Futurama episode for $10 million. And by the time um, Comedy Central came in to start negotiating with Fox to get the rights, by that point, those episodes were worth $28 million. Mm, mm -hmm. It really wouldn't be the fact that it was animation nerds that saved Futurama and Family Guy from the death pile and showed it to an audience that could really appreciate it. Uh, even in an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, like uh, Master Shake says something like, like something about Futurama being like, ah, they didn't even, they didn't even want it till we got it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, so it is, it, it they, they have good reason to put these, 
DVDs out, these short films. You've got Bender's Big Score, the first one, grossing a little under $4 million in its first week of DVD sales. All four of them end up making a total of $32 million, which really shows networks the property's worth. It just it, it just gave them a direct indication that they needed. And uh, the other ones... I feel ones, like the Beast with a Billion Backs, uh-huh. kind of a weak link in that one. Beast with a Billion Backs. You've got Bender's Game, which I believe was the standout in yeah, a lot uh, of ways. Yeah, that one had a bunch of uh, D&D references. Yes. That was just full-bore nerd fest, and, and it was very good. And the um, is this the second series finale or the third uh, uh, it's a good question. Into the wild green yonder. I can tell you, I can confirm that later. I have it somewhere else in my notes, which one that is. But into the wild green yonder, yet another quote unquote series finale for the show. Of mm-hmm. course, now it is not deemed that. It, uh, the episode, meanwhile, is deemed that. But again, uh, they uh, it's just an in- indicative of the fact that they really thought that these DVDs now were going to be the final thing and that the show would be dead forever again. The uh, movie ends with like a crowd shot of literally every character in Futurama history like sitting in bleachers together. Hell yeah. And it was one of the only times that Rough Draft uh, Korea was like, you're going to have to pay us more for this shot. <laughs> we're not, don't just say every character in Futurama <laughs> gasps. That's hilarious. So it is June of 2009. And a little-known TV network called Comedy Central announces that the show has been picked up by them for 26 new half-hour episodes as they had acquired this these rights from Fox and that this show would be going again starting back in 2010. They did have a smaller writing staff than the original team for the series when it was at Fox and... They immediately have a ton of issues with getting the full original voice cast back. Comedy Central had a really hard time oh, meeting their salary demands. So um, it got so bad. Do you, are you going to get into this? Uh, you Go ahead and say it. I know what you're about to say, though. So it got so bad that uh, Fox actually, because it, Comedy Central bought the rights, but in reality, they Fox was looking for an excuse to extend the show runtime so that they could hit the mythical 100 episodes for syndication. Uh-huh. So even though, yes, Comedy Central... They're, it's it's back to the old fucking battle with Granig and company fighting it out with Fox. Right. And so, um, obviously, the actors have since had their careers go places, and they would like a fairer salary than they had before. And uh, Fox, in a show of like weird power, puts out a casting call for new voice actors for Futurama as part of, you know, clearly a show of like, oh, you know, trying to call their bluff or something. Uh, this comes to a head when none of the voice actors appear at the Futurama panel at the 2009 Comic-Con. And it is considered one of the most awkward moments in the history of the convention. Um, I think I have a quote somewhere. Uh <laughs> Shortly before the con, news broke. This is from the Infosphere, the definitive Futurama wiki. Mm. Uh, Shortly before the con, news broke that talks between 20th Century Fox and the original voice cast broke down, leading to an audition call to replace Billy West, John DiMaggio, and others. The panel at the con opened with a clip of Hypnotoad speaking in an unfamiliar voice, telling the audience, all is going well at Futurama. You will not notice that the voice cast is not here today. And anyone uh, that was hoping it was a setup uh, actually got a kind of kick in the 
the pants because uh, Groening had to issue an affirmation and vague remarks that, you know, Fox was still in negotiation and that everything was, uh, uh, you know, this is just a kind of a joke. Ha ha ha. Uh, they put out a video of voice actress Lauren Tom secretly being behind all aspects of the show's production uh, and it landed with a thud. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not 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 great. Uh, luckily, they did pull out of that. Of course, I, I just you just it would be insane to have that show without the voice cuts. I think that would be such a weird. This episode would be so different. I think at this point, if they had recasted it, because the the voice cast. I mean, we we spent a long portion of our first part of our episode just talking about them. That's how inherent they are to the show. So they were able to resolve the issue. The studio paid more than they originally were intending to, and the voice actors received less than they were originally t- uh, intending to. So they hit a compromise there. So when it first aired on June 24th of 2010 on Comedy Central, it was the highest rated night of the year for the network, as well as the highest rated Thursday primetime rating in the network's history, which is pretty fucking amazing. DiMaggio said, once we got on Comedy Central, everything changed. People started seeing it. The show became a real cult success. This whole time we were in this creative groove. The jokes were brilliant and the characters were changing in all the right direction. Now, this they is started to really breathe. So, but even with all this schedule fuckery, by the fourth season, uh, Futurama had averaged about six million viewers. But six million on network, bullshit. Get them out of here. This is too expensive. This is awful. We got to get rid of them. Their premiere on Comedy Central got three million viewers. Runaway success, cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, this is when Futurama peaked in terms of Google searches. This is when uh, the memes began arriving. Um, it's actually, I, I had to go to knowyourmeme.com because there's so many Futurama memes. Uh-huh. There's, of course, uh, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Why not Zoidberg? Shut up and take my money. That thing where it's Fry squinting and it's not sure if X or if Y. Uh-huh. Um, and a ton of these references are coming from the Comedy Central episodes. These nerds, these highly dedicated nerds who spend too much time on the internet are on the internet spreading the word of this show. Uh, and a lot of it becomes popular on image boards, on Reddit, and you know, the the it's kind of the Rick and Morty of its era. Like, yeah, it's not like hitting, you know, the vast mainstream, but among the very select demographics that a lot of these networks and a lot of these merchandise companies look for, this show is knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, so in March of 2011, the show is renewed for a seventh season with another 26 episodes. Uh, and But then in April of 2013, Comedy Central announced that the final episode would air later that year. And do we know exactly why they ended it then? I mean, um, it seems a little bit more mutual. I will say that. And I have some quotes to back that up, which I'll, I'll say in just a second. But was it just maybe too expensive for Comedy Central to continue to support it? So by season six, they had hit the mythical 100 episode mark. And uh, everyone from the producers to the writers were not, like, taking a real, like, they weren't racking it in on this deal. But if the show made it to syndication, they would. So, like, everyone was kind of playing the long game. Right. And so by season uh, seven, uh, they had reached 140 episodes, which is enough for a syndication spot. It's enough More for, than like, enough, yeah. forever income. And even with all this newfound love, even with all of this, like, cultural zeitgeist behind it, you know, once the victory thrill of like, we got Futurama back kind of faded, new episodes were getting like less than a million episodes on their premiere dates. Uh, the lowest, I I checked on Wikipedia, the lowest performing episode ever, um, which I even remember watching as a teenager and being like, 
Yeah, this one this one was like kind of bleh. Uh, was forty percent lead belly, which is an extended metaphor about Bender learning to become a blues man. <laughs> and yeah, they're starting to. They talk, I mentioned it before. They're talking about how difficult it was to continue, and that's so many episodes trying to do pull out new sci-fi concepts and things like that, and come up with new interesting takes. David X. Cohen said. Four times we've written an episode thinking there was a high likelihood that it was the last one ever. And I'll just mention that Ken Keeler has written all four of those episodes. I don't know if I would call it a tradition, but every time we think it's our last episode, I assign the script to Ken Keeler. I tell him, you've had the most experience writing series finales of anyone. And uh, those episodes, by the way, are the first one was The Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings, which I brought up before. Into the Wild Green Yonder is the second one, which was the straight to DVD. And then the uh, season finale to season six, Overclockwise, was the third, actually. Uh, before we get to Meanwhile, the true series finale. Cohen said, other times when we've written the episode thinking that it's the end, I've always thought if only we could have gone a few more seasons, we could have had a long and successful run and we could have done everything we wanted to. But it always felt a little bit as if we were getting cut off at the knees, even though we had an episode that I thought worked well as a finale. This time, I can feel like we made it. Over the course of 14 years, we did seven seasons, 140 episodes. If you count the DVD movies, if someone came up to you when the series was starting and said, what if I told you your series will run seven seasons, 140 episodes? I think you'd say, sign me up. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, the fi- the series finale, meanwhile, is about uh, the abuse of a button invented by Professor Farnsworth that allows one to jump back in time 10 seconds, which leads Fry and Leela uh, to being uh, through a series of unfortunate events that I can't go into now. Uh, they-, they end up being the only two people not frozen in time. So they end up getting married together, alone on the planet. They grow into old age together, just the two of them. The whole situation gets rectified by uh, Professor Farnsworth, who ends up not totally being frozen in time and um, fixing the button. And eventually, Fry and Leela agree to, quote, go around again together and start it all over. Uh, Which, oddly enough, plays into the final act of the Futurama story. Yeah. Because after the Comedy Central deal uh, was over, um, it went into syndication. But the shows started appearing, on, along with a bunch of other Fox properties, on Netflix. Yep. And all of a sudden a new kind of fan emerged. Uh, Over the past three years, a kind of weird hive mind of people that found themselves together and called themselves Futurama sleepers (laughs) began to kind of appear on the internet. There's a active subreddit. And uh, basically, I used to do this with Simpsons episodes when I was in high school. I would like play them on my laptop and just fall asleep with it. But after you've seen these episodes so many times, you kind of don't need to watch it. You kind of can just hear what's happening and you kind of remember what it looks like. Not only that, but these episodes, because they hearken so back to old-timey sci-fi, they if you just listen to them, they play a lot like old-timey radio plays. Mm. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of people explaining what's happening. Uh And because of the way that these high-minded sci-fi concepts worked with regular commercial breaks, you can stop paying attention. You can drift off then kind of drift back and you'll just hear you're telling me that the professor is trapped in a time bubble like, <laughs> like it, it was very easy to listen to and the end result being that futurama uh, meant a giant chunk of netflix's watch time and a lot of traffic you know uh internet companies like this 
thrive on metrics. They have to prove to advertisers and producers and everyone else that like, no, 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 we got the eyeballs, we got the goods, and shows like Friends, The Office, and Futurama are the backbone of those thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours watched. So the end result being that when it came time for Fox to take all of its stuff to Hulu, Netflix was desperate. And who do they call upon to fill that Futurama-sized hole in their, in their lineup? Matt Groening, David X. Cohen, Bill Oakley, Claudia Katz, all these names, Patrick uh, M. Verone, literally like half of the production and writing staff of Futurama pitched Disenchantment, mm. which if you've ever watched it, is absolutely fantasy Futurama. It is, I mean, I'm not going to say it's as good as Futurama, but it fills that same like cozy kind of Simpsons energy in your heart if you watch it. Uh, I hope it gets picked up for a new season because I've loved it, but I'm not going to like say you have to love it. You know what I mean? But even Matt Groening, when he was pitching the show to people, said in an interview, we've done uh, with Disenchantment, we think it works as a sleepy time, fun, epic fantasy you can watch as you drift off at night. Ah. Or if you're the kind of person who obsesses, there's something there for you too. And Disenchantment has a ton of weird Easter eggs, a ton of like uh, hidden messages. It definitely has that like lighthearted tone, but with enough edge that it's not boring kind of deal. It totally is the spiritual successor to Futurama. And so in a small way, the dream continues. Well, there you have it. That is our second part on Futurama, thus wrapping up. Ding dong, ding, 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 dong, ding, ding, ding. Our whole coverage on Futurama. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to finally bring you this episode. I know a lot of people have requested it. Uh, in the past, so we're glad to get to serve it up nice and hot for you. Two eps. Uh, thank you again for all of your support. If you'd like to support us further, check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also, we are thrilled to announce that we are going Spotify exclusive on Valentine's Day. That is February 14th, 2020. New releases and the entire back catalog of Wizard and the Bruiser will be Spotify exclusive starting that date. Accounts for Spotify are free and easy to create, so go ahead and grab one because all of our episodes are already over there. And if you're one of the many, many people who like downloading the shows ahead of time and listening at work, don't worry. With a free account, you can download as many episodes as you want. Follow Wizard and the Bruiser on Spotify to get new episodes as soon as they come out. And uh, Jake? You can follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. And until next time, always remember to keep on bruising and never stop whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.